0: Irish beats with Rob O'Connor. Your music now this is beat. You're listening to Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor Beat102103. Uh, First Prize, Bravery, was one of the best Irish releases of 2019 and the author, the instigator, the artist, Sorka Richardson, has followed it up with Smiling Like an Idiot. It was released on the 23rd of September and she's here with me to chat about the makings of the album, all that went into it and possibly even musings on some future adventures. Sorka, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm good now. I'm all the better for speaking with you. <laughs> uh, this is a podcast. Nobody can see this, right? But you're, behind you is a helium smiley face balloon. Yeah. And it's a, is it a bit of a metaphor? Visual metaphor, perhaps?
1: I guess it's a bit of a visual metaphor for the album. We did, um, me and three of my friends, the week the album came out, we went on a road trip around the country, um, in which we did like pop-up shops I guess and little gigs and things and one of my friends who was coming on the trip went off and got the smiley face the 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 day the album came out you know so we and we were like oh it'll probably last to like day two or three but um it's been like (laughs) I don't know three weeks now and I like I don't want to I don't want to disturb it or destroy it I think that would be a really that's that just seems violent to me
0: yeah, it'd be kind of like interrupting a fairy fort. Do you know what I mean? Oh
1: God, yeah. You, you
0: just just don't do it.
1: No, don't do it at all. So I'm just sort of, but but now like I've, every time I do a Zoom call <laughs> or every time I, I have what I, I chat to anybody, I sort of forget it's there, and then I see it over my shoulder, and I'm like, this this is sort of strange.
0: I think it's a lovely backdrop so uh, yeah. <laughs> say nothing and when it's done you can just sellotape it to the wall maybe I
1: know. <laughs> exactly
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Be, oh no, that would be a strange conversation piece uh, why, why have you got a <laughs> yeah. deflated balloon and sellotape to it won't be smiling
1: it won't be smiling anymore it'll be sort of like a grimace I think
0: yeah it would be more like a leather face from Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um
0: right so Sarka the uh, the album Smiling Like an Idiot it came out on the 23rd of September and it went straight in at number 4 in the Irish album charts. How do you feel about that?
1: <laughs> I mean, uh happy I guess. It's it's a kind of it's an odd thing like I don't really have any experience of like the charts and um you know it's not really something i was thinking about when i was making it or anything like that it's one of those things that like i think the less you can sort of it's it's not very good for my head to 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 take in too much of that information you get i think you can easily get quite obsessed with them you know it's like where you're your your chart position and that all all of this like Mm. stuff that feels kind of weird um like, but then again, at the same time, it means that people went out and bought the album. So that's a very nice thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I know it's a strange question because it kind of, it kind of in- indicates a meritocracy, right? And and I know when I, whenever I talk to artists, To to get into that kind of I'm better than you or you're better than me or or any of that kind of stuff is 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 reductive. It's not helpful. Um, I think we've moved beyond that as a species. I'd like to think so anyway. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, when you release a piece of work that I'm I'm going to assume that you're happy with it because you wouldn't release it. Because I released it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm gonna assume that 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 like you're happy with it. So artistically, hopefully you feel satisfied. To to get a top five chart position. Well, that must be nice, though.
1: I mean, it, especially because of the chart, like the week that my album, the charts are weird because there, there's streaming counts mm. quite significantly for us, which is very obvious when you look at it, because like, I think the week that my album came out, every other artist in the chart was like Harry Styles, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, The Weeknd, like... There was there was no there was no other like it like small independent Irish artists in the chart that week. I mean there there often is, but
0: why are um, you saying the weekend is not a small independent Irish artist? No,
1: <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, not anymore. No. So I think there like I don't know. There's I do have a real sense of achievement, um, and it's it does make you feel like because sometimes you can put out an album and. Like my my first album was didn't chart at all. Do you know what I mean? And I wasn't that I wasn't I didn't feel disappointed. <laughs> like I, I wasn't think that wasn't something I was thinking about at all. I was just so proud of myself that the album came out. And I don't think I don't know it's it, there's two sort of uh things that can there's, there's, there's many ways of thinking about these things and like for some people You know, that stuff is very important, like even like for labels and management and stuff. Sometimes it's, you know, they're sort of markers of progress, let's say, or they're very concrete sort of concrete evidence that like you put out an album and people take any notice of it. Mm. Um, But I also think that with albums, like it's sort of what happens after the first week. The first week is very busy and very noisy and chaotic and then maybe it's in like a year's time that you really have a sense of what the album did.
0: Yeah, with a bit of distance and did does it resonate with people? I, I as I mean with, with with regular people, audience people, you know, people who you don't know, for example. You know? Yeah.
1: Because I even yeah. sensed from my first album that a lot of people discovered it, you know, a good while after it came out. I got that sense from like people who would come to my my gigs or like when we played at the Academy in Dublin in March um, or in April, whenever that was, af- like after lockdown, I got loads of people were like, oh yeah, I, I, I found your music in lockdown, you know, and my which was maybe like between six months and a year after the album came out. So mm. you want, that is very important too, <laughs> you know, for the album to have a life beyond its first week.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course it must. Yeah. Uh, but even to be, kind of utilitarian about it I'm going to assume that your chart position was a result of a lot of direct sales Yeah uh, and probably physical sales uh, which which even for yourself must mean oh god Okay, there's a a return on investment. Uh, And I I know I'm talking very kind of business-like and I'm not a business (laughs) person. I know nothing about business. But, you know, I know that, like, if you go and get a bunch of vinyls made or, or whatever it is, that costs a significant amount of money. So you need to sell them to make that money back. So you must have sold enough to have made enough to cover your costs.
1: Well, yeah. See, the thing is like about three, three weeks ago, I had boxes and boxes and boxes of vinyl in my house <laughs> and I was stressing to everyone who I live with. I sort of like hopefully saying, I promise you, these are not staying, they will be gone. Someone's going to buy them <laughs> <And> <laughs> they're not staying here forever. And thankfully most of the ones that I brought to my house are not here anymore. So, um, I mean, this is what we're always saying. We're saying, like, please, if you if you like an artist's music, buy the album or if you want, you know, and and it it makes such a huge, huge, huge difference because it costs a lot of money to make, you know, to make an album. And a lot of artists like me put in, you know, a good amount of their own money to make it. And, you know, small Irish labels, you know, we're not working with very big budgets, so. When it's, I don't know, it's it's actually the thing that allows you to keep going and not, you know, you don't want boxes of your vinyl in the attic and then like loads of loads of debt because you made too many. Um, Yeah. So to sell a lot of vinyl in the first, I think like we, my album charted because we sold a lot of vinyl. Yeah. Um, that's just that's that's kind of how it happened, and so that. Yeah it's 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 kind of a necessary thing to allow me to keep doing it.
0: So you know the way you said that you you did a kind of a little whirlwind tour around Ireland the yeah. just leading up to the album's release. I know you went to a lot of record stores. Uh, I smaller went I only went any, to
1: one record store actually
0: oh was that roller Coaster in Kilkenny yeah in Kilkenny yeah okay because I knew you were there I didn't yeah. get to see you there but I knew you were there and it's a wonderful shop lovely but you,
1: place, yeah.
0: oh it's a brilliant shop and the lads here are great like yeah. they, uh, I think they call it the happiest place in the world I know um, they might be right <laughs> they might be right <laughs> um, do you think that would have had something to do with it the fact that you I, it's no it's like you know the way politicians talk about pressing the flesh right <laughs> yeah. that sounds really dodgy I don't mean it like that but what I mean you know that you actually kind of show up and you're seen to be in places uh, do you think that has much to do with it?
1: I think it has a lot to do with it especially because um, even even for for me and my experience of it like when you put something out and then you just you the the way that you engage with like people's response to it is online it's really weird (laughs) and uh, feels very remote and can be kind of lonely and anticlimactic and so so we we actually did this road trip it started in Dublin the day the album came out and then it I think we did eight different sort of pop-up free free shows where we like, where I played you know a short set and um we had you could you could come and you could buy merch and buy a vinyl and stuff like that and it but it just sort of made me feel like is. It, it allowed me to sort of celebrate the thing that I had done um, with the people who listen to my music. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. um, but then again, at the same time, I'd say there's probably a lot of people who bought the album that week because they came, you know, cause I went to an Simon and played a small show there and maybe like 60 people came out and loads of people then bought an album because we were there. So yeah. Um,
0: Or they told their friends.
1: Yeah, exactly. Who said, hey,
0: that was a really good show and uh, her album is really good. So, okay, maybe I'll pick that up on Friday or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But
1: even just like aside from the sort of, you know, the the maybe more business-minded way of looking at it, like I had the best time of my life that week and me and my three friends had a camper van and we went, like we slept in the van wherever we could and uh, we just had... It like I'll never forget it. It was it was so 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 much fun, and a kind of. I remember talking to another musician kind of recently who was like, you know, Cirque, you have to take the wins when they come, and Mm. you have to celebrate the the those things when when you can, and that was sort of like that felt like a week long celebration. So it was actually I'm so thrilled that we did it. It was a really nice way to kind of have like a party every day for, for the album.
0: What was the best bit of that trip? Is there a single moment that kind of stands out? I mean, the f- was great
1: yeah, crap. the first, it was the first night that we, pr- we set up the beds in the van. Um Because we, we were like parked in a ca- in a car park in Kinsale. And we'd, everyone had had a few drinks. We'd already done the gig. It was like, we were like, we'll go to the pub, but we should really set the beds up before we go to the pub. Cause we don't want to come back to the van you know after a couple more drinks and just and so there was a moment where like when we were setting it up and it was very confusing and uh like everyone just cut us off laughing we had these like this little set set of bunk beds and obviously the smiley balloon was in the van which took up a huge amount (laughs) of space so anytime we did anything you had to sort of like elbow your way past the balloon and there were just so many moments like that where I was kind of I could see us from above and I was like what what are we doing <laughs> like how was has my life led me to this moment where the four of us are in this car parking can sale doing this but um that was pretty i don't know that was fairly fairly funny um i th-
0: I think you just wrote a lyric there for a new song
1: how was my I? life
0: led to this car parking sale <laughs> yeah. Like that. It's a, I think it'd be a great opening line <laughs> to a song. Just what? saying. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, right. Well, l- let's just talk about where um, Smiling Like an Idiot comes from. Yeah. So, so f- as we said, First Prize Bravery comes out in 2019. Um, the Right. Uh, things are on the up for you. And then 2020 happens. And we won't speak of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But obviously things... You're on the up, but then things are going to a halt. Now it's not that you weren't active because you were very. You, were, I know you were quite busy. Uh, I, I remember the the EP that you released, the kind of oh yeah, the what was it, isolation, isolation recordings, home recordings, home recordings, yeah. and it was a kind of a, like a reworking of, a, of of a few of the tracks from the first yeah. album. Uh, you also were involved in out the gaff, which I definitely want to talk to you about later, <laughs> yeah. uh, right? But actually, well, let's just talk about kind of is, isolation home recordings, right? Yeah, because. You, you, obviously whatever plans you had on the back of First Prize Bravery they go in the bin um, could you explain the kind of the work process that you engaged in yeah, for like, isolation home recordings
1: so I I was back I was living in my house with my parents with my sister um, the four is this of in us. Dublin is it? this is in Dublin yeah so the yes. four of us were there I was like in my bedroom that I used to live in when I was you know growing up Um and like a lot of people I was kind of Things were sort of gearing up And so I was I think I was supposed to go to London that week And do a a week or two of writing sessions And um, obviously a, gig, a tour that was like immediately cancelled And all of that So I don't know I think I just found the first week of it First week or two Really uh, kind of hard Because I had nothing to do <laughs> and i was ex- anticipating a very busy uh busy time for myself so all i d- what i d- i just i wasn't even a, a really planning on r- releasing it i don't think i just wanted like I-, I was like okay well what's the one thing that i know how, that i do that i enjoy doing that kind of takes my mind off of everything else and i'm not conscious of time passing and i'm not watching the clock and mm. and that is like writing and recording so I didn't even have any real recording stuff with me at home. Um, so I kind of just, it was like a project for myself to give my day some kind of structure just so I didn't go totally mad. And um, I just took some of the songs from the album and started like doing kind of alternative, more demo-y acoustic versions of them. But like that was, some of it is recorded on my phone. <laughs> a lot of it is recorded on my phone actually. Wow. Um And what else? I had like a mic that I used to, like the first mic that I bought when I was like 18 that I used to make demos on. I bought it for like 50 quid or something. Um, That, so I had that on my phone and I just used, I think I had like a tiny MIDI keyboard and that was it. So it was just to give me something to do, to be honest with you. Um, Give me like, some kind of structure for my day and then then I don't know I just made it and I was like oh this I kind of like that these exist and yeah, why not why not you know share them as well
0: <laughs> so so you were kind of working away recording stuff yourself g- during this time as the isolation home recordings yeah now I was reading one of the press blurbs for smiling like an idiot mm-hmm. which said that you decamped to your grandparents house yeah and you kind of set up a a studio yeah. type structure, a recording setup there. Um, and you were working with collaborators via Zoom. Did your work on isolation home recordings inform the technical end of Smiling Like an Idiot?
1: I think. Um, see, when I moved to my grandparents' house to record, I definitely had more stuff with me. Mm. But I think by that point, like maybe six months or seven or eight months had passed since we were first in this thing. And so I had, you know, some of the rules had relaxed a little. So I start, like I bought a bass guitar off my bass player, Joe. Um, I bought a couple of synths. I bought, I borrowed a drum machine off one of my pals. I started sort of like, I was like, okay, if we're in this for a while, (laughs) I think, you know what, I think it was like, I did the, I I did the isolation ep and that was sort of satisfying in that it was challenging but i once i did it i was i, I kind of was like okay i, I need more stuff
0: <laughs> i don't want um, to do this again yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah um, i get you and so or i certainly knew that like i didn't want my i didn't want my album to sound not like that i knew i would record my album in in a studio and not at home but yeah um i think it was definitely like a step you know towards because because i kind of like i wrote the album nearly all of it like in the front room of my grandparents house with like those things you know i i set i set up i set the space up so i could just get up every day and everything was already there set up and i could everything was plugged in all the time and it was you know ready to go um but like it was a similar kind of process because it was still pretty lo-fi and diy and um in some like some lots of it like nearly all of it pretty much all of it was re-recorded but some of the ideas came from like okay well i don't have a drum kit so let me make a drum beat out of like i don't know like a book and you know, mm. the table, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my, yeah, my yeah. keys and a 20 euro note and stuff like that. Um, so sometimes it's t- like li- having a real limit on your tools. I've, I find to be kind of inspiring and good for creativity. Mm. I've heard yeah. that
0: you, you use the term lo-fi there. And yeah. It's, it's used a lot. What does it mean to you? <laughs>
1: well... Um,
0: I'm not trying to trap you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I know. I think for me like, you know, when I'm making my demos, I don't spend a whole lot of time uh they're very rough and ready and I don't like I don't have expensive gear. I am it it is kind of things like, you know, making a making a drum beat with a 20 euro note, which I did on one of the demos for actually Spotlight Television, the first demo with us. Right. Um we later reproduced it, but some of the ideas come from if I had hired a drummer, you know, like I don't know that the uh, at the start, I don't. It wouldn't sound like the beat that I made if I, you know, was using my twenty euro note. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I,
0: I think I can get which is is it that you're? All right, I'm trying. So I'm trying to repeat back what you've said, which <laughs> yeah, is, so which is not uh, not ideal. So correct me if I'm picking yeah. you up incorrect uh, wrong. Um. So so the idea is like okay, you have limitations and you just make use of what you have and maybe because you're not a drummer and or maybe you are but but you know or Actually I am a drummer. Be- oh you are a drummer. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. But you're <laughs> it was but my I don't first see first instrument. Okay, right. So, <laughs> yeah. so but but drummers generally don't play 20 euro notes or books yeah. or something like that. So if you're playing a book you can't snap that like like a snare drum or 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 or, or kick it like a like a like a kick. Yeah. Um so the the way that you would play a book or whatever it might be does change the the or the, 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 the tempo of, yeah, I of guess, the piece. I is, guess that, I just is that mean, right?
1: There's, just, there's ideas that come from limitations that you wouldn't land upon if you were not inhibited by yeah. your equipment. And sometimes those ideas are actually better. um You know, I guess that's what I mean.
0: Yeah I've often heard stories about like Brian Eno uh, in the studio and he he, you know whenever they're hitting a kind of a creative wall or or anything you know introduce a kind of an element of chaos into the mix and that could be something like right you know that guitar line I want you to play it on a banjo yeah. or, or, or not even a banjo I might play it on something else but I don't play that I know
1: so <laughs> Yeah, let's see what even happens <laughs> you yeah. know
0: because uh, you can get kind of lost in the technicalities of it that, but you're maybe losing the essence of it D- yeah. does that make sense?
1: Yeah because I always think of making music as more important like recording music is about capturing something rather than like sculpting something perfect mm. because if you're chasing or if, at least for me I can only speak for myself but if I'm chasing that thing like I'll never get there. So what I have to do is sort of keep an open mind and see where I go rather than having a very specific end point, you know, where I'm headed. Because that's just, I don't know how to get there. <laughs> and anytime I've tried to do that, I've driven myself insane and, you know, probably missed things that were actually very exciting because I was too preoccupied with, with a very specific destination.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the results on... I'm smiling like an idiot. I, I, I they they sing for themselves they don't speak for themselves you know they, <laughs> you, you can yeah. like you can hear it but I mean you hear a track like shark eyes and it's just that that term lo-fi I quite like it I like yeah. that term I like the term lo-fi because it to me it indicates a kind of a grittiness. like there's dirt under the fingernails kind of a way um as opposed to pristine widescreen rock and I'm not equating one to be better than the other. Uh, because it it just depends. depends like for example, yeah. it's like comparing Guns and Roses and Nirvana, for example. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think they're both excellent. Or ACDS. It doesn't matter what it is, but one is a kind of a very polished widescreen sound, and the other one is dirtier. But they're both good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not. Or, or you can you can compare any artists you want. They're just two that came to mind. Um, yeah. So there's another term as well. That I'm just wondering what your take on it is because I don't understand because I'm <laughs> yeah. an old man now. Sad bop. Sad bop. Have you heard that phrase?
1: I have, yeah. It,
0: what 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 what's a sad bop?
1: Is it like, um, kind of a an upbeat sad song? Or not an upbeat, but like a like kind of like a. It's not like a somber piano ballad, you know. It's like. Um, feel like i have a lot of sad bops
0: yeah would you say shark eyes is a sad bop
1: shark eyes is a sad bop yeah
0: (laughs) yeah 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 i like that phrase though i think it's nice i like it too (laughs) (laughs) um right so uh, right smiling like an idiot it's out now it's available uh vinyls Are, are you do you still have vinyls i do Excellent, right? So they are available, uh, they're available, and they're they're available in shops and at gigs and things like that, and on
1: Bandcamp uh, and all, and
0: ones. on Bandcamp, yeah. and etc. Uh, etc. Et so the you've you've had a number of singles from it so far. I mean, there, there was Artie uh Spotlight Television is is the current one. Yeah, I'm one of the things that has struck me about the songs is the kind of the light and shade that's in them. Yeah you know, they kind of go up and they go down. You know, you don't, and I mean that as a compliment, Yeah. but you don't seem to have a kind of, it right, two and a half minutes, bum, 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 over. It's, there's, there's a lot of dynamic in your music and I wonder where that comes from.
1: I love, 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 love riding bridges and middle eights. It's like my favourite thing. And that for me is sometimes the thing that makes a song. Which obviously you can't like if your your song's a two minute song. I mean, you could have you could have a middle eight in there. Um, I don't know. I think you you need that little sort of moment of doubt or like a slight change in perspective or reflection or something that happens there. That that then gives context to everything that you've heard in the previous two minutes. And then yeah. it makes you hear the last chorus differently. Like, there's some songs that d- that don't have... Like, I don't think there's... Well... No, yeah, I, I was about to name two songs and I'm like, no, that does, that has one. Hard to fake it, yeah, that has it. Purgatory, that has one. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe as well, because I, sometimes I write songs a lot uh, just on guitar or just on piano. And that... I'd maybe like sometimes those songs when when they're when they're super stripped back like that. They they don't they don't always have a lot of dynamics and so you I have to I try to create them. In the song structure.
0: Yeah, in the production um, structure. Do you mean is that kind of when you're adding in the instruments? Is it?
1: Sorry, I mean I mean like if I write like if I write it on guitar and if I'm just singing it on guitar and. Um, with guitar and oh, I know, I know what you mean now. Yeah, if like if I'm just if I'm just playing it on guitar with and singing along, there's not that. There's obviously there's it can only be so dynamic. So that kind of for which is how I write a lot of them. So that sort of forces me to make the writing of them more dynamic. But also I think um Alex Kaznoff, who produced most of the album, um. I just think he has a way of sort of taking my songs and making them their most emotional and kind of melodramatic or something. Um. Yeah.
0: Can Can you describe the dynamic between yourself and Alex? Like, what What's the working relationship between the artist and the producer like in in this case?
1: Um. So we've worked together loads. I first met Alex. He's from LA. I first met him in maybe two thousand fifteen or sixteen. Um. We like our ma- managers sort of set us up on like a blind music date, yeah. you know, <laughs> as can happen and uh, and often too. They're not very enjoyable. But I flew out to LA when I lived in New York, and I worked with I worked with Alex for a week, and I think we recorded "Ruin Your Night," "Lost," and another song that I actually never released. But we recorded those two songs in the first like day or two, and I was like, "Oh, this is." what it's like to sort of work with someone who you really, really click with. And then I've pretty much worked with him on almost everything I've made since then. So he's a brilliant songwriter himself. So on this album, he worked with me, like the songs were like maybe 80%, 90%. Some of them didn't change at all, but i sent Alex all the songs when they were still demos. And he and I worked a little bit on some of the writing. Um, It's kind of, you know, the way you say about Brian Eno, like introducing an element of chaos. That's sort of what I think of as when you invite another, just another brain into the mix is someone who will look at it from a slightly different perspective and arrive with different instincts and impulses. So Mm -hmm. Alex is kind of that for me. Um, So we did probably like a couple, maybe like a month or two of zoom stuff back and forth, like just fine tuning the songs and Pulling like references and getting sort of a few ideas, and I was bringing the songs and to my band, and we were, we were rehearsing them. And I was taking like voice notes of those and sending them back to Alex in LA, and it was kind of fragmented like that. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant piano player as well. So like nearly all of the synths on the album and the piano, Alex played. Um, right. And I think that's a pretty big character on it too. Um, that's where like a lot of the sort of cinema and drama happens is in the sense I think
0: it's quite understated though.
1: Yeah, sorry. Do, do, when do I, you know what yeah. I mean? Like
0: because it, like often you say some somebody's a brilliant guitar player uh, or piano player, and it's like yeah. they do all this lovely technical stuff that might be fabulous. Yeah. But it can be uh, busy. I would I wouldn't call your records busy, and I mean that as as a yeah, total yeah. compliment. You know.
1: That's, yeah, I don't, I'd prefer when they're not busy. So that's <laughs> definitely a choice. Yeah. The thing about Alex though is he's so, um, he's so, I feel like I've learned more from him than I have anyone else. He's so, uh, he's all feeling, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. overthink things. He doesn't get, he, he somehow keeps a really clear head through the whole process. And I don't know how, because I get nervous and I get like, freaked out that we're gone down a path and often we do go down paths and it's the total wrong one we have to turn around but um i don't know he's 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 a he's a real like believer in that trust the process mantra and he knows how to he genuinely knows how to do that and um we have like this album we had a lot of we had so much fun making it and um I felt like because we'd made an album together before and we'd worked on more music like that before as well that we were able I don't know we just kind of said yes to a lot of things that came up we were like I I think this album is the production anyway is more experimental than the first one and um we kind of just had a bit more fun doing mm. it.
0: Yeah. I was looking him up online because I don't know much about yeah. him and I see that he's also an actor.
1: He is an actor, yeah.
0: Is that something you ever think about dabbling in yourself?
1: God. No. No. Like when we shot we shot the um the Shark Eyes music video in which I my friend Lauren who is an actor, she was like my co-star in that. Was I but like even that I was like this is me at my limit. <laughs> like <laughs> uh it's not I mean I used to do drama and things and plays when I was like 11 or 12 but that it's not really a a calling I have
0: okay so you won't be darking the doors of uh Fair City anytime soon
1: not yet <laughs> I don't think so I uh, never say never <laughs> I, I I'd probably say never <laughs>
0: <laughs> um you mentioned that you used to live in New York uh yeah I, th- I think it was Brooklyn I believe um it's not that I'm following you around. That's what we said on the press release. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's
1: what we told the, you. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, the so so you you obviously lived in the states for a significant amount of time. Is that something you would like to repeat?
1: Would I like to live there again?
0: Might be the states. Might be somewhere else.
1: Honestly, that, that the,
0: idea of going off living somewhere else and
1: at the minute, not at all. <laughs> Um,
0: well, he wouldn't fit the smiley face on the plane. I wouldn't.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, like uh, as long as that's like my <laughs> child, and he like my child has to get through school first, and then I'll I'll think. But no, as long as that thing is still going, I can't go anywhere. Um, no, I I I I lived in New York for eight years, and so I moved when I was eighteen, and I came home when I was oh, just before my twenty seventh birthday, um, and so I think maybe because of that, like I feel when I came back to, to Ireland and to Dublin, it it was actually a city I didn't know particularly well, Mm. you know, it had changed a lot since I'd left. I also left at an age before I really got to experience it properly. Um, and so I came home and I actually, I just, I loved it. And I, I, I I mean, the whole housing (laughs) situation isn't ideal. And a lot of my friends are leaving. Um, a lot of my, a lot of people like my music friends and people who I work with are, are leaving or have already left. And so, um, I totally understand that, but I like, I, I would like to be here and I would like to stay here. And, um, I don't have any today. Like I don't have any urge to go off and live anywhere else at the minute. What, what
0: do you think about that situation? I mean, so I, I'm living in Waterford yeah. and I'm at a different stage of life now than, than, than you are, obviously. But the... I mean, I, I did a stint in Dublin, like most people in the country have done at some stage. But when I lived there, I was living in a... Like there was three of us living in a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, I'm going to say it was relatively cheap compared to... Yeah. Certainly, I mean, it was a steal compared to modern standards. Yeah. But the idea of... of, of an artist or a creative... Not being able to afford to live in Dublin, I f- I find it sad, and even yeah, even yeah. The, somebody who's selling you coffee, if they like, if the people who are working in the supermarkets can't afford to live there, I don't see the point of the city.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I think it's like completely broken, <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you. And when I say I wouldn't, I don't want to go anywhere else. Like I would very happily leave Dublin, <laughs> and I would happily uh, live somewhere else in the country, mm. um, and. Um I think just a lot of people don't it it's hard for anyone to really imagine how they would have a future here, you know, and then and then obviously like like of my my band, right? My four my five piece band, including me, none of them I'm the only one of us who lives in Ireland anymore.
0: Right. Two
1: of them are in Berlin, two of them are in London, and more. That's more and more and more people are, um, are leaving. And then obviously, when you ha- when all you know when the all the creatives leave, a city,
0: uh, yeah. What are you left with?
1: What? <laughs> yeah.
0: No, and, and that's not. I'm not trying to, to you know make an us and them thing against creative people and non-creative people. Well, it's, it's not arti- just
1: creatives who can not afford no, no. it either. You know. Exactly. Well, it's, yeah. I mean,
0: it's an artificial divide. But yeah. it's I, I, okay. Well, let's say the haves and the have-nots. Uh, although even some of the halves don't have very much either but yeah. you know it's just I, I, I'm I not political and I'm not going to get into politics because I know nothing about it <laughs> but the idea of of your average Joe or Josephine soap being unable to afford to exist sounds very worrying to me Yeah, you know, I mean, because it, you're left with is, nothing yeah. then you're just left with a, a city full of hotels and no character and no soul yeah, yeah.
1: I know it's depressing and it's kind of, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, hmm. like the, the interesting thing is like when I was in New like one of the reasons I came home was because I couldn't afford to live in the States anymore, you know, and yeah. New York is not a cheap place to live at all. No. Um, and then even when you have to do all the, you know, it's expensive to renew your visa. It's expensive. Like there's all those extra things you have to do when you're not, um, when you have to when you're not a citizen as well um and especially like there I didn't have family there or anything so like I did like I had lots of lots of friends and lots of friends whose families were very good to me and stuff like that but um I don't know it's just a different it's there's life is there's all this like red tape that you sometimes have to continually jump through when you're living in a country that's where you're not from. And I think Eve, mm-hmm. that's, you know, when you're not, if also when you leave Europe as well, cause there's lots of things that are available to us. Um, when we go to another European country, so that, yeah. So, so, but that, but then you, you come home and then Ireland is like, it's just, it's not, it's just, it's not a lot of, uh, space or, um, opportunity for, for people to make much of a life for themselves here mm. with any real future or security or you know so but I like I I don't know I, I with with <laughs> saying all of that I I love being here and I love being back home and um the thought of leaving Ireland now or again like is w- that would break my heart if I had to do that again so yeah. Um, I'm not planning on it, but um, you know, maybe in another set of circumstances, it would be something I I considered. And so many people around me are doing it, and I completely understand why.
0: On that low note, yeah. <laughs> let me ask you a question about one of the best bangers of the last couple of years. Out the gaff.
1: It's <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: So I know this is that some segue. The, so I think that came out in 2020, is that right? 2020?
1: Yes, it did, yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was yeah, definitely, yeah. It was definitely a lockdown ago. record anyway. Yeah. Certainly
0: that's when I heard it. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, yourself, Denise Chiloh, God knows, Merrily.
1: Yeah.
0: How did that come about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there was, um, James Vincent McMor- McMorrow booked uh a studio in Dublin called The Clinic for two days um, and invited seven or eight people down. So there was us and a couple others. And I don't know, we just, we wrote loads and loads of songs over the course of those two days. um, One of which was Out the Gaff, but it was kind of the song that as we were making it, everyone was really excited we made it. We wrote it really quickly. I think we just ordered lunch. Someone played like a, a sample that is in the beat. Merley immediately started singing. Made it out the gaff. I get some free now. And then that. And then and then I don't know. Denise was like, "Circa, we want you to be on the song with us, but you have to do a verse. You can't just sing the chorus. You can only be on the song if you do a verse." So I was like, "Oh God, okay, I'll try." Um, and then we had it written by like we had lunch. We. We recorded it. Everyone was just howling, laughing as we did it, and then I think we put it out like two weeks later or something. Yeah. Um,
0: and I remember the video for it as well.
1: The video. Oh but yeah. The was video. You, it was just.
0: I uh, like. I. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it was the time it was released. It just looked like good crack. Yeah. It really did. You know, and and it sounds great. It was. It, sounds great, it was.
1: It was so much fun, and it was like a real kind of antidote to what everyone's lives were like at the time as well, because the like we couldn't. We could, we could go to the studio but like you couldn't go to the bar you couldn't go we couldn't play gigs so that was like the the height of my social <laughs> social life at the time was going to the studio with Denise and God knows him early um yeah it's I don't know I I love that song I'm so yeah. thrilled that we made it and that we put it out and you know every time we get to perform it I'm sort of i'm like what What is this song again (laughs) you know it's i don't know it's but it's i don't know it's so fun to make music with people who who make music that's totally different to yours it really pushes you out of your comfort zone but then it also just reminds you to not take everything so seriously and be so precious and Mm. there was because that song was like a real it was like it belonged to all of us it it was only it, that song has only ever represented good things to me it kind of it didn't come with any of the the pressure or the stress or anything that can sometimes come with putting out your own music so yeah I'm, i i love it i think yeah. it's it was so much fun to make and they're just great people as well
0: deadly uh the so the album smiling like an idiot it's out yeah. now uh copies are available in all good record shops, Mm -hmm. uh, Bandcamp, online, etc. All good record shops. Are there any bad record shops? (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen one. (laughs) (laughs) I've never encountered one ever (laughs) in my life. Uh, But anyway, right. Available in record shops. Uh, You have a gig in the Olympia on the 20th of October. And then I see you have a UK and a European tour. That's Mm -hmm. bringing you up to kind of the end of November. After that, what's next for Sorkin Richardson?
1: Um, after that, uh, I am hoping, I think that I will be able to go play some shows in the States next year. Um, some more shows and festivals (laughs) next summer. Um, what else? There's another, like, another thing that I've worked on, another project that I recorded that I think is going to be out next year or soon, but, um... I don't, people, I, everyone asks you that question in interviews, and I feel like I should really have a good, a, a real, you know, snappy spiff, answer. Snappy answer. Yeah,
0: I'm going to make a sandwich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: like, I don't know more, more, more shows, more writing. Yeah, m- m- more, <laughs> more of that. More stuff. More stuff. Yeah, excellent. Yeah,
0: well. Uh, if you make more stuff of the quality of smiling like an idiot I'm not going to be complaining but I will be <laughs> smiling like an idiot uh, the album is out now from Sorka Richardson it's a wonderful listen do go and check it out go and buy it uh, and uh, you know and you too shall be smiling like an idiot uh, if you want to find out more about you Sorka where should they go
1: I guess you can go to SorkaRichardson.com
0: and everything is up there All everything your- is there Everything is there. Um, <laughs> wish you all the best. much. wish you all so the best much. with the Olympia show. Uh wish you all the best with your your UK and European tour and uh subsequent adventures into 2023. Thanks, Thanks. so much for talking with me. Today.
1: Thank you. Thanks a million.
0: Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor on beat 102-103.